I've just realized something. I'm not sure if you've realized as well. Um, our team, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Our team are selective in what they want to do. We tell them to do stuff, but they don't do what we ask them to do. They decide what they want to do. So like, remember, I've asked them constantly to uh, to start uh, to do the music the, at the beginning of the show. They'll ask it a few times. <laughs> they don't like the idea. They don't tell me. They're like, we, we, Mario, we don't give a shit what you say. We don't like the ID, so we're just going to ignore you. <laughs> it's been like two months I'm asking for it. <laughs> they just don't give a shit. I'm a great manager. We're not exactly – yeah, I was going to say we're not exactly persistent. We usually throw ideas out into the uh, into the metaverse or wherever ideas go to die. Uh, and then uh, for, remember about it a month ago, and we're like, what was that thing we were talking about that we were planning to do? Yeah. No, I, I disagree. I think I'm a – um, you know, the, the, the gif of like something coming in from one e going out from the other. Uh, this is my life. This is yeah, my just ask, just ask Romy. She's very selective, at least what she wants to listen to and do and what she doesn't. You are the, you are the busiest person, arguably, that I've ever met, which is interesting because I thought Rand was the like hardest working person I've ever met. But A, from what I've seen from you, your avatar is literally always on stage. I'm pretty convinced that you're biohacking to somehow avoid the fact that you sleep two hours a day and overcompensate for that. But then every time I talk to anyone who knows you, obviously like Gaurav, you know, or mutual friends, he's like, even if I get Mario out of town, I finally got him to a yoga retreat for three days. He didn't leave his room for five I minutes. Don't... He was like, he just flew, flew to somewhere else so that he could. I have no life. I meet no people. Like for example, I'm not going to Singapore to meet you and you're probably not going to stop by Dubai to meet me. I'm, I'm trying, um, I'm trying. And yeah, I, I literally do no meetings. The last meeting I had, like a meeting with someone, like anyone really, like a professional meeting where you go there and you meet, um, excluding the one I had with one of my investors in the biohacking chamber. So I actually have meetings in the biohacking. I'm meeting someone next weekend in the biohacking chamber. Other than those that happen once, once every month, the last meeting I had in a restaurant or something is uh, probably I had maybe two this year, three max. Um, and that's already like three too many. I'm extremely introverted, not introverted, but I just don't like meetings. So the fact that I want to meet you in Dubai just shows that it's a very sincere request. And the fact that if you don't come for whatever reason, it just it, it, I, will, I will probably take it personally just so I put it out there. I'm just putting it out there that that might be literally the reason. <laughs> just, to just to trigger, just to see how triggered I can get. You know, I, I definitely, definitely intend to do it. It's, it's funny we didn't that we didn't manage to uh, do it do it last night. But but really, every single person I know who actually knows you in person is like the guy. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how you do it, man. But uh, we appreciate it. Here we are for you. It's Friday night and. Uh, or Friday evening, at least, and here we are digging into the uh, crypto news of the day once again. Yeah, I like how we start off every show talking about ourselves, like people give a shit to kind of warm up the space instead of talking about the space. It's because nobody's here. We know we can do it when there's 600 people before there's like. Yeah, 6, I think we should so, do. You know, you gotta, we should do a rule. Something. Well, I think, I think so. We should do a rule. Like until we hit a thousand, you just have to listen to us talking about ourselves. So we need 300 more people if you want us to stop talking about ourselves. So Scott, how's this bear market compared to the last on a personal level? You got like maybe 30 seconds before we kick off the show. Um, I, I think it's similar in a lot of ways. I mean, if we're talking about it personally, it's obviously worse because uh, Voyager for me, you know, and, and I think the, uh, the the collapses obviously that happened in 2022, I think hurt a lot of people in a different way than the bear market did, you know, in 2019. I think 2019, yeah, people lost money that they had invested. They were down bad. Maybe they capitulated and they quit. I think in this cycle, obviously a lot of people, 
uh, were damaged by platforms and things that happened, though that money doesn't come back. You know, it's not the same thing as like I'm sitting on something that's down 90%, but maybe it'll go back and I'll get an exit. Like when it's gone, it's gone. If you were an FTX creditor or Celsius creditor, Block Five Voyager. So, so personally, obviously, that aspect of it was was bad for me personally. But as far as uh, what it's like versus you know, and I really do believe in the four-year cycle right now. So we're talking about 2015. I wasn't here. So 2019, 2023, I think that this is not nearly as bad. It's so funny. I see all these sort of hyperbolic and exaggerated. This is the worst bear market. This is the longest bear market. This is a bear market where we're seeing BlackRock apply for an ETF and the SEC losing in court to the judicial system and real adoption all around the world. So I think you know, in terms of actually mainstream adoption, in terms of recognition of the space, I think much like a chart, we're, we're making higher lows in this cycle than we did in previous cycles. And that's why, you know, this bear market is Bitcoin at $26,000 right now instead of Bitcoin at 4000 to $6,000. Right the, how's the liquidity of this bear market compared to the last one? Uh, I mean, this, uh, that that is difficult. We might have people on, on stage who can answer to that better, but... Because that, that's sort of a nuanced question. I think it's very clear that global liquidity is a lot worse, right? And, and so I think liquidity in all markets uh, is the reason that so many markets are suffering in Bitcoin more maybe than others. And then you add into that sort of the banking issues and Operation Choke Point 2.0 in the United States and sort of this outright assault by the anti-crypto army on the industry in the United States. And so I think that there's reasons that we have macro reasons for lack of liquidity. We have crypto reasons that are like just the part of the cycle where people are not interested and we lack liquidity. And then we have actually the regulatory and, and assault on the industry that has cut off banking relationships and literal, literally a lot of people can't get money in and out of, of crypto. So I would say that aspect maybe is a bit worse this time. Yeah, I would agree. I think considering the circumstances, that's a key point here. Considering the circumstances, this bear market is significantly better than the last one. The last one, we had nothing close to the attacks we're facing this time around, yet the market performed worse. Um, before we kick off, at least I'm glad Eric is here because he had a great video that's a bit more bullish, um, which kind of goes to Rand's narratives. I want to challenge Rand's uh, earlier narrative of a raging bull market and whether that still applies. And Eric could probably make that same argument, and then Gareth would probably make the opposing argument. So it's going to be a good discussion. Oh, Mike, sorry. It's going to be a good discussion. Let me just kick it off with um, – before we do a market update, I'm just going to try it out with uh, a quick um, bits and pieces, pieces of news over the last 24 hours. We've got majors are down. Um, you know, about 5%, I think ETF outperformed Bitcoin. Open interest drops to levels before grayscale news. And I think one thing we'll probably discuss today is how we've retraced every single major development, positive development um, throughout the last few months. And um, it kind of shows what market we're in. So we'll discuss that in a bit. We know that the US judge asserted that Bitcoin and ETH are commodities. That's in the uh, Uniswap ruling that happened earlier. They got base. Uh, Coinbase's base, TVL jumped by 62% because of a platform. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a new platform, a, a DeFi platform, a, a DEX on uh, base um, that's gotten a lot of attention that did really well. It's called, for anyone that's interested, it's called, um, it's a fork of uh, Velodrome. It's called Aerodrome. So you can check it out. I don't know much about it. Um, we've got a cool tweet here by Peter Schiff uh, talking about Bitcoin. I'll read it out briefly. 
uh, Bitcoin hodlers who believe GBTC will convert into a spot Bitcoin ETF are better off selling Bitcoin and buying GBTC. The current 20% discount to NAV allows traders to increase the number of Bitcoin they own by 25%. It's an even better trade if selling BTC results in a tax loss. Nothing too major, but you know, I thought I'd, I'd add it to the agenda. Uh, another bits and pieces in news, and then I think, Scott, you could uh, give a market update with uh, Gareth and the rest of the panel. Um, We've got something you can really touch on because that's your area of expertise, but ETH heads for a death cross indicator. So maybe you and Gareth could explain, uh, could elaborate a bit more on that. And uh, last bits, of pure, bits and pieces of news, we got Binance's APAC head quits. Um, okay, that's a cool one. An opinion article in China Court Daily pointed out that cryptocurrency has economic attributes and ca can be classified as property. Um, that's a cool development there. And we're talking about the positive narrative in, uh, in, uh, in East Asia. And lastly... Two, three last points. Elon does say that they're, that they're not looking at launching an X coin, a Twitter coin. So there was a tweet that said X might be looking at launching X coin for creators. Um, and then Elon just replies, no. And last, and last two bits and pieces. One very, These are probably the two most important ones, at least in my opinion, or two of the most important four. Um, crypto VC funding hits lowest level in 2.5 years. And I know I've been kind of talking a lot about this and it's a topic I really, I really, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in for selfish reasons. And the last point here is OpenSea sees the lowest monthly volume in over two years. Uh, again, just shows that the NFT market is just taking a beating. So that's a, bit, a quick recap of the, the main bits and pieces of news. Man, I like that. Hours. You have to do that every show. Uh, we oh, that's good. That, that was, yeah, that was great. Uh, cool. I, I thought I was talking too much and I was going to get shit in the background. And, you know, CZ did a space earlier today, by the way. He, just, he didn't talk nothing too major. I know there's a bit of FUD around Binance. We'll talk about it in a bit, coming from one source. Um, but, uh, you know, CZ did do a space earlier, nothing too major. He did he did talk about Uniswap, the judgment case being very positive, which is, uh, you know, as we all agree. But uh, maybe, Scott, you can kick it off for you and Gareth and Mike, and the rest of the panel with a, with a market update. I think the most notable thing in the market, obviously, and Gareth, I want you to just generally jump in here because I enjoy when you do it a lot more than when I do. Uh, and we're lucky to have you here. But I, I do think the most notable thing is exactly what you mentioned before. If you're looking at Bitcoin, is that it did a full round trip. Uh, it returned to the prices where it was before the grayscale pump up and even actually dropped slightly below from where that moves uh, somewhat launched, still below the 200 uh MAs for those who care on both the weekly and the daily chart. And just a little, I think, discouraging for market participants, especially for bears, by the uh, for bulls. And by the way, this is how you get rid of those last bulls and finally have a bottom at the end of the uh, bear market. But to see it happen in two days was obviously a little bit brutal. It took a lot longer to retrace pumps of good news in the past. And we interestingly sort of saw this retrace happen before the news of the ETF rejections came out. Uh, leading a lot of people to speculate there was some front running here. That story you didn't actually mention, Mario, and I think that was kind of the biggest story of yesterday, was that all seven ETF, spot ETF uh, applications were rejected, uh, excuse me, dismissed, uh, delayed. Uh, delayed, my yeah, words yeah. very careful. Yeah, de delayed yesterday. Uh, it was kind of funny to watch because they did them one by one, and then there was a stall, and then an hour or two later, they announced the BlackRock. Yeah, can, I have a, can I ask you a question, Scott? Can I, can I ask you a question on that? So I didn't mention it just because it's uh, like the main focus of today's show. So I just kind of added the bits and pieces unrelated to the main one. But on that point, um, everyone's just making a big deal out of it. But in every one of our spaces, we all expected this. Of and course. Think about this. Grayscale, what was the grayscale decision three days ago? 
did we think that the SEC was going to just start approving things three days after they themselves found out that they had that would look sus. that would look shady couldn't even happen I mean to, to the point we're talking about the government it takes a long time to uh, turn an aircraft carrier right and they're going to move extremely slowly on any of this there was no way that they were just going to outright come in three days after uh, with new rationale I mean this is going to take them if their plan is to really absorb this information, go back to the drawing board, relook at these ETF applications, because remember the GPDC decision, it doesn't say that we're getting a spot ETF. It says that the grounds in which the SEC rejected the spot ETF were capricious and arbitrary. So they can come back with new rationale for rejecting. I don't necessarily think they will, but those kind of things are going to take time. They weren't going to just capitulate in three days and approve this. So the fact that it, I don't really assign the price action to that d decision necessarily, like you said, it seemed like so uh, forecasted and, and we just knew that is exactly what was going to happen. There was there was no way. But still, you would expect maybe if this was a bull market, you would see good news be good news and carrying through. And we're just still in that situation where, I mean, if you just think about it this way. Bitcoin, maybe the fair value of this bear market for Bitcoin is just somewhere in the mid 20,000s. Right, because that's where we were before BlackRock. It's where we were before Grayscale. It's kind of where we were around Ripple. It's just this is maybe the price where there's a balance of uh, of interest, and we're on this low volume environment where maybe where price is going to sit for now. But Gareth, maybe you can give us an update on what's going on in other markets. Yeah, and, and Gareth, if you can also touch on the death cross that I mentioned earlier, because you know technical stuff, I don't understand. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, just looking at the stock market, we have light volume today. We had this little surge in volume off of the non-farm payrolls today. I think the interesting thing for the non-farm payrolls was the amount of jobs added was higher than expected, but the markets rejoiced over an unemployment rate that popped to 3.8% from 3.5%. So again, it's, it's, it's showing us that maybe there's this potential for the soft landing or no landing at all narrative that we've been hearing so much about. The only negative to the unemployment rate that I would just bring up is that, to me, it's showing me that the participation rate jumped uh, more than anything. It's not like a lot of people got laid off. It's just that people are now coming back into the workforce. And I think that's a result of people spending down their COVID, um, their COVID savings. And then I actually have someone, my head trader in the office, he was telling me about a friend of his who, who actually had to go back and get a job because of crypto. Like crypto, he was making lots of money in the bull market. He spent all, you know, down all his gains and his loss is now are starting to swell and he's got to go back and get a job. So so I think we're seeing some of that. I mean, markets are remaining up on the day, but S&P is about four tenths higher. Um, generally, you don't see big down days going into three day weekends when holidays are around. Uh, so I didn't really expect a down day today anyways. Uh, Bitcoin, again, going back to what, what Scott was saying, it's just it's a bear market, right? That this this is just more kind of reiteration that this wasn't a new bull market that was starting off the 15,700 lows because you're seeing good news get sold into immediately. Uh, we saw it with Ripple, like literally Ripple popped that one day, Ripple's back below where it was before that news even came out. And same thing here with this grayscale news. We've retraced essentially the whole entire BlackRock news. Um, and again, you know, bear markets have a way of just ripping the heart out of bulls. Like it will make you from a bull into a skeptic again. Um, and I think that's what's happening. People are buying these news news stories and then they're getting rejected and finding themselves in the loss column with their PL. And so really what we want to look for is when does bad news become good news? When does bad news come out and instead we don't see a new low being made or we don't see a flush and, and price holds steady. Uh, but right now that certainly isn't the case. 
And uh, can you talk about the death cross or It's not really even worth mentioning. I, yeah, Gareth, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in terms of the death cross, I mean, it, it, these type of things are very much hyped up in, in markets. And, and I, I find that these golden crosses and death crosses, they're made out to be big things in the media. But in reality, they don't have a whole lot of impact. I mean, it's basically ten, telling you a trend, right? So the trend, again, is turning back to the downside. So it's a, it's a trend indicator, but I don't take it as like an immediate sell signal for the market or anything like that. That's right, Mario. They're lagging indicators. So for anyone who understands a moving average is based on past price action, usually you're talking about either a 50, a 100, or a 200 on whatever chart you're looking at. So if you're looking at a daily chart, uh, the 50 MA is basically the average of the last 50 uh, candles. Uh, and so you're looking at backwards data and how one is reacting to the other. A death cross is when a shorter-term moving average crosses down below a longer-term one, meaning that the short-term trend has passed now below the long-term trend. A golden cross, obviously, is to the upside where the shorter-term moving average, whichever time frame you're on, crosses up, and people view that as a bullish signal. But as Gareth said, more often than not, uh, they're showing you something that already happened and not something that's about to. Cool. Let, let me, I want to go to Eric on, to kind of comment on this particular point, market updates, and we'll go to Mike and probably your take, Eric, on where we are today and what you expect in September. And maybe also give a, a recap for the audience on why September is such an important month. And you know, in brief, it's historically been the worst month for Bitcoin for I don't know how many years. Um, also, I'm glad Jason's on stage because I want to dig into the NFT market or the what people mm. are calling the death the death of NFTs can be really interesting. Uh, but Eric, I'll let you uh, I'll let you give us your thoughts on where we are today and maybe uh, you know kind of a, a bit more bullish take. Sure. Yeah. So uh, where do I start with this? Okay. So first things first, I'm driven fucking mad by people calling this a bear market. Uh, stocks are basically around all time highs. Some stocks make new all time highs. Bitcoin went on went on a more than 100 percent rally off the lows. What fucking bear market is this? <laughs> is ridiculous. Uh, we saw the lows last year in October, or sorry, November. Um, and uh, and since then, it's been it's not a bull market. Certainly not a fucking bull market, but it's a trans market. It's a transitioning market, and of course, you know, during this time, we expect, uh, you know, the ups, we expect some sideways and down. And, you know, it looks like we just hit some highs over the summer here and probably going to come a little bit sideways and down. And I suspect the first couple of weeks of September, you know, probably going to set in the lows, um, at least for Bitcoin. So as far as Bitcoin goes, uh, not related to traditional markets, but as far as Bitcoin goes, September, everyone knows it's generally a bad month. Out of the 13 past Septembers, um, only 30% have closed with a net positive gain. And when I say net positive gain, I mean, very, very small. Uh, the biggest one was 22%, but that was, you know, around year three of Bitcoin. Everything else has been, you know, minimal single digits. So more or less best case scenario for September, probably sideways price action. And there is some uh, more nuanced analysis actually on that. So a lot of people are aware that September typically the most down month. But what people don't talk about is that it's typically the first couple of weeks of September, actually. Um, why is that? Because there's a quad witching in uh, middle of September. And then after the midpoint of September, um, it's actually a little bit more balanced in favor of the upside for Bitcoin, specifically six out of uh, 10 were having positive gains. Three were basically just unchanged. So that's where the, you know, the last uh, three come from. But ultimately, traditional markets, um, I'm, uh, it's... <laughs> it's hard to explain how maddening it is for me to hear people call this a bear market. Um, it is hubris. It is hubristic to call it a bear market uh, for one. Can I ask and then, you, can I, Eric, on that question, yeah. sorry, I wanted to interrupt because on that particular point, the, the, the reason, you know, it is a good argument to call it a bear market is that we've retraced every single piece of good news. 
No. The XRP it, news what, 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 mean, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about crypto, crypto. So I'm talking about crypto, what, crypto what, Eric. What, what, what has retraced? If, so the, if it's all yeah. retracing, why isn't Bitcoin back at 15,500? That's, that's yeah, absurd. I, I, yeah, I, I'll let you up what, 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 what three pieces of news. And I'm, by the way, just, I'm leaning on more on the bullish side, but less so than a few weeks ago. But we've got the grayscale news. Two days, we've retraced those gains. And that's pretty major news. We've got the BlackRock filing. It was about, whatever, $25,000 a month. 25 to 31 there. and... Yeah, Brown. Yeah, exactly. We're back almost at the $25,000 mark. And the XRP news, we were, XRP was at 0.45, or no, 0.47, I think, when it happened. Now we're at 0.5. Um, so we've just retraced every piece of good news. And, and one rule, and again, I'm not an analyst. So you, Gareth, Mike, know a lot more, and Scott know a lot more than I. But like one, th one golden rule is like when you're in a bear market, the market does not perform as it should when there's good news. So it performs badly or retraces when there's good news. And when you're in a bull market, it doesn't give a shit about bad news. I'm not sure if that's a good rule of thumb. No. Um, okay. So with all due respect, Mario, and I have a lot of respect for you, but with all due respect, uh, surely, surely after following the news for so long, you probably have noticed that it doesn't work all that well. And just paying attention to the news stories, the news headlines, those are typically, you typically want to be doing the opposite of what that big headline is. Markets bottom on bad news and they top on good news. Explain that. The problem is with these news stories, they're not objective. They are subjective and everyone has different interpretations of these sort of things. And that is why it's very difficult to make anything out of these news headlines. And for what it's worth, I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that actually moves price action are well, orders. It's not It's not the actual news itself. Two people can hear the same story and come up with completely different um, analyses from it. So uh, I think looking at the news is it can be useful in the short term, but ultimately uh, these sort of events are, you know, liquidity events, um, you know, to take, to take positions yeah, off. Price action is king, right? Price action is king. And, and price action, obviously, you can't be like, oh, that Ripple news, yeah, it was so great. You know, price action told us what it was. And same thing here with the grayscale. And like, I think it's it's a little like just talking about crypto specifically, I think it's a little faulty to just say, oh, this is a new bull market, because what people when people hear that, they assume price will consistently be grinding higher. And you're not seeing that. Right. You've seen rejections at major levels. You're That's seeing that in every past every That's past bull mar bear market. Right. We've had a 100 percent rallies, multiple 100 percent rallies in Bitcoin, and we've still gone back down. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, stock market's different here, but you have to look at like history on Bitcoin bear markets. We've had rallies like this before. Uh, Eric, a rally. Yeah. And, uh, okay. And, and, and I'll add a question to it as well, Eric. By the way, I saw a, a couple of people in the audience, even MM Crypto, was giving you a thumbs up. So you're not alone in the narrative of not being as bearish as, as uh, somewhere earlier. Uh, but, like, it, you know, you look at the news, they're like, hey, different people will interpret news differently. But you can't interpret the XRP. Uh, win as in any way bad news or the BlackRock filing for an ETF or the Grayscale the news. Market so maybe the market doesn't care now. The market doesn't care. It, that's what price tells you. So, okay. Um, again, just to completely uh, clarify things, I'm not calling this a bull market. This is not a bull market. This is a trans market. It's not a cis market. It's not a buy market. It's a trans market. Okay. It's a transition between bear to bull. It's probably going to take some, you know, another year, year and a half, something like that. Anyways, uh, no, the whole thing is not retraced. Again, Bitcoin lows for $15,500. It is currently trading just below $26,000. That's not a full retrace. I, I just, I'm not, we, we're not looking at the same damn charts. Uh, so it makes it very, very difficult to communicate. But I'm just, I, I, I don't know where you're getting this from. Uh, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. Gareth and Mike, I'd love your take. It's, 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 a, it's one of my favorite discussions so far on the show. I, 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 
Yeah, Mario's no so excited my... in the background. You guys have no idea how excited. Yeah, yeah this is <laughs> oh, great. I can this take is, this several steps further this is... as well with the no. stock market because we can definitely go there as well. There yeah, will we'll very go. likely, very likely, be new highs in the stock market within a year, maybe less. Very likely. That's bro. You need to change your profile picture. It doesn't suit your personality at all, <laughs> Eric. But yeah, Mike Gareth, I'd love, I'd love the other side of this because for me, this is really like these are the discussions I like, Scott. Because you have both sides debating very openly, and then we can finally we kind of make up our mind instead of being in an echo well, chamber. I, I do appreciate you bringing back memories of being in the trading pits and arguing with traders about bears and bull markets. And um, I agree with both Gareth and Eric, but I really appreciate some of the things uh, Gareth said that. Bear markets will take money from everybody. And um, also a key point is today, before long, U.S. holiday weekend, they typically don't go, don't go down a lot. But the fact to me of Bitcoin is it is showing very significant bear market tendencies. It's still at. So just this quarter, it's down 14% and Nasdaq's up, 20, up 2%. Divergent weakness, that's bad. BTC. The one thing I got right so far is GBTC is even down 2%. The key thing I got wrong, if I look back a year ago, is I did not think the Fed would hype this much. To me, that's the elephant in the room. So I look at right now, even after this payroll number today, when we by the time we get to that November meeting, it's still pricing. The Fed's going to be adding more headwinds to broad markets. And the key thing to remember is Bitcoin has been just completely raised on zero interest rates. So here's another thing. On a one-year basis, Bitcoin is up about the same amount as the NASDAQ, yet it trades at two times the volatility. For someone who runs money and sits in front of a value-at-risk model, that's very, very bad performance for an asset that has two to three times the volatility of something like the NASDAQ. So I look at it right now as my base case is we're heading towards one of the biggest economic resets of our lifetimes just based on normal stuff and bitcoin has been the best leading indicator in the way up and it should continue to be the best leading indicator in the way down and it's still doing that so here's what happened lately so we have all this hopium about etfs that's a done deal we will get etfs it's just a question of when it really reminds me of remember when we had all this battle between the mayors of miami and new york about who's going to get paid in bitcoin first and, and when the first etf was launched it really trades like very significant divergent weakness, too much hopium for a new high, and it's usually what happens when you tilt over and you crash to new lows. Now, I'm not saying new lows. So let's look at the facts. Since Bitcoin first traded one in 2011, when Fed funds was zero, it's up 26,000%. If you look at Amazon, the first time it traded one, the highest ever got was maybe 200, I'm not 26,000%, 26,000 times. Amazon's only up 200 times. So we're talking about this asset's gone up so far. And so fast, and it's one of the top leading indicators. I just look at it simple mean reversion is what happens in bear markets. They take money from everybody, and I'm still afraid it's just going to continue to mean revert some of those big rallies. So give me signs of strength. Give me signs of divergent strength versus the stock market. The key, key problem I have is I think this year is like 1930. We've had a bounce in the stock market. It did in 1930, 50%, and then it rolled over. And then I look at all the indications are pointing that way. First, we know what's happening in China. They're scrambling to try to pick up. Where does... The biggest wealth creation in the last 10 years in, in the world has been in China. That's starting to implode like Japan did. And we look at Europe. All those PMIs are tilting negative. And the bottom line is they're still hiking rates. And you look at the U.S., we're still hiking rates. So the bottom line I'll end with is don't fight the Fed. Don't fight liquidity. Liquidity is still negative. Bitcoin's a leading indicator, and it's tilting down. Eric? 
Yeah, uh, I strongly disagree that Bitcoin is a leading indicator. That is, uh, it's, it just sounds absolutely silly to me. The reason why I'll explain is because Bitcoin is like a shit coin to, you know, the major indices like NAS, like SPY, you know, all the major ones. So we expect Bitcoin to not be as strong, meaning that you need a strong, you know, broad market or sorry, a strong, uh, you know, major indices first before you get your, you know, weak shit coins to move like Bitcoin, you know, like the smaller caps. I'm sure that you know this, Mike, because you come from traditional land, as do I. And it's just rotations, just rotations. Bitcoin is weaker. I don't, I, I don't understand where you're getting that. It's a leading indicator from. It's never made new highs before uh, traditional markets coming out of, you know, a generalized correction. Never. Benson, I'd, I'd love to you to jump in on this one. All right. Yeah, I do believe there's something we're missing here, which is the, the, the macros in general. Gareth made a very good point at the beginning, which is the fact that. Banks in general are struggling. We had a massive, massive stale three years of COVID where people accumulated liquidity and they are slowly spending it. This leads into a massive retracement on, on general markets. Yes, the stock market is doing bits, is not doing, doing bad. But at the, at the end of the day, what we're missing here as well is the fact that banks are using these stress tests to get back in the market. Uh, indeed, I have, a, I have a very good friend at, at Credit Suisse in Switzerland, and he was telling me that um, a lot of the engineers there, of the, the, the few crypto engineers and DeFi engineers that they have there, they are planning them to keep buying Bitcoin as markets are manipulated by the lobbies. So that's something you need to keep in mind. You can't mislead people with bull bear, bull bear. Those are just concepts. You can't be just telling um, normies and people that just join crypto that we're in a bull market. Of course, if you bought a three cents, yes, you are in a bull market, GG to you. But Eric, at the end of the day, we have been lateralizing for probably some of the longest times in the last five years. So it is stressful for many. And a lot of people that have BTC in the banks are withdrawing their holdings right now because they are stressed. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question. I'm, I'm sorry, um, but that is just yeah, fully redacted. That is fully redacted. Again, I'm not calling this a bull market. This is not a fucking bull market. It is a transitioning market from, again, well, so, so Eric, when, when it will it transition? When, when will it transition to a bull market? What does it need? And we've got James on stage as well, probably get an update on the ETF side of things. But what do you need to see to say, okay, now we're in a bull market? Or what do you think will trigger that bull market? Is it just a matter of time or is it certain pieces of news? It depends ETF? how you do Here's one of the major issues. It depends how you define a bull market. Many people define a bull market by new all-time highs. I think that that's, uh, that's not necessarily my definition. My definition is I want to see an uptrend on a very high-term time frame, that being either a weekly or a monthly. For Bitcoin, it, weekly is most appropriate because the monthly's never been in a fucking downtrend. So the weekly, as of right now, yes, it isn't an uptrend, but I still suspect that it is going to take time. It's not a full-on bull market. It's in, the, it's in the process of transitioning. We want to see a strong, a very, very strong weekly high or low. You know, maybe that comes here in September. Maybe that comes in November. I don't know. Bitcoin, again, much, much, much weaker than traditional markets, but traditional markets very likely have already set in the low. They very likely already set in the low either in August or maybe within these next couple of weeks here in September. If it's not, uh, if it's not that, then that will break 
the trend that we've seen over the past 20 years. The past 20 years, in pre-election years, the low, the low for the next year leading into new all-time highs, by the way, within about a year, was set in August on extreme lows on the McClellan Oscillator uh, indicator, which is just a market breadth indicator going over all the major indices. And we saw the exact same fucking thing again in August on almost the exact same day as the last time as well, by the way, 2015. So what does that mean for the past 20 years? You know, is that something to be aware of? I, I would say I would say so. But ultimately going into Bitcoin, what do I need to see for a bull market? Personally speaking, you know, I'd want to see uh, probably back above 32,000 bucks. I think that's kind of the major region that Bitcoin was hanging around for about a year in 2021, 2022. And getting back above there would kind of be significant, I think, just in terms of headlines. Uh, I want to get uh, just a fresh take. Blocks and thoughts. Um, I don't think we've had you on the show before. So we've had we've had two different you know perspectives on the markets. I think the, the, the argument of whether we're in a bear market, Rand was making an argument a while ago. He'll be on with us shortly uh, about being in a raging bull market. And then Eric's making a good argument on us just being in a transition market. It's not, it's not really a trans market. It's not really a bear market um, from what he's seeing. And, you know, he's made some good points. What's your stance on the current market conditions? What do you expect to see in September, considering it is, it is uh, historically the worst month of the year for, for Bitcoin and crypto? I think given the fact that the Fed, uh, the Fed is not uh, elected to take a position yet on, you know, current inflation or raising rates and keeping them where they are, that we're just going to see a sideways month and maybe, uh, you know, sideways and down to a small degree. I don't think it's going to be anything significant in my opinion. I think we have a lot of sideways to go before, you know, globally macro markets kind of stabilize through a possible, you know, deeper recession before we can see any kind of, you know, significant uptrend in all markets. You know, that's kind of my overall position. Can, can, can I ask you a question, man? Like if we're seeing the cool. markets not do that well when there's good news, like it, it bounces up and mm -hmm. it's really good news. It bounces up and then retraces those gains. So mm -hmm. then when we start getting the, you know, bits and pieces of bad news, which is inevitable, will the markets just drop significantly? Then if good news is not helping the market, you know, improve, then bad news would, would logically just, you know, I think there's an argument to, make, to be made there for that. But at the same time, we've had a lot of bad news over the last, you know, over 2023. And we haven't seen that much downside. We've had, uh, I can't quite recall all the stuff, but, you know, we've had significant bad news throughout the 2023. And the markets have remained fairly stable and, you know, and, and up a little bit since December, right? So I don't think that's necessarily necessarily the case. I think a cycle is playing out here on the macro scale, and we just have to kind of wait for it to see it through, and and you know take our positions as uh, we see the see entries. You know, basically. Yeah, Dave, uh, I, I want to go to you as well, and maybe looking at other factors. So we talked about the, and I'll go to Jason on that one as well right after. But Dave, get your thought on the debate so far, and also some of the metrics. Like the metrics just don't look that good either. Like liquidity is low. We got VC funding is at a two or two point five year low as well. NFT market is just going to shit. Um, and you know, seeing all these different gains, like it, it, the news where the entire crypto market was celebrating, and some of them, some of these pieces of news were, were unexpected to many. Um, yet the market still retraces or get those gains. What's your stance on this? Well, I think Eric is right. Uh, I'm, I'm team Eric on this debate pretty strongly, actually. Uh, I think that people need to understand that we've seen literally the same thing happen twice. You saw a piece of news, and I'm gonna, I want to talk about what that news means, that indicates a possible future piece of news cause a $5,000 rally or a $6,000 rally, a 20% rally which gets faded and it retraces because the people who bought the rally 
are the speculators, the people who are waiting on the news in the future that was signaled are not going to allocate any dollars. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about asset allocators in traditional financial markets being able to put money into Bitcoin. And the only people who are going to try to front run those are Bitcoin speculators. Those asset allocators can't do a damn thing until the actual assets exist for them to move into. And they've been faked out before. It's been going on for five years. Don't They don't expect it. So BlackRock announces everyone said, oh, it's going to happen quickly. Well, guess what? It isn't going to happen quickly. And so it fades back. Then Grayscale wins their case, which I think is massively important for the entire cryptoverse and very important for the entire financial system trying to, to fight back on. I mean, I've lost track of how many different SEC uh, uh, new rules that will will get law will be lawsuits about. It's a very large number, uh, in in many ways. So it's a very big piece of news. Being called capricious and arbitrary is non-trivial, but it's non-trivial in the sense of what it will allow in the future. So that retraces. I mean, I'm going to do my weekly recap this this week. So we call the boy who cried wolf. You know, <laughs> the speculators jumped in. It didn't happen. The asset allocators didn't come in behind them. Oops, I was front running nothing. The truth is, is we have a balanced market. Eric is right. There, buy, there are patient buyers out there, and the the speculators have sold. So expect that to continue. It is not remotely crazy that it looks like it will continue for at least another month or so, maybe through the middle of the month. It is always a time like this. And I think that you just have to look at it. Now, Mike and I, we debate this every Monday, and we'll continue to debate every Monday. I don't think Bitcoin's a leading indicator about is showing anything about what's going to happen, I think, in terms of the stock markets, because I think the fundamentals under Bitcoin are very, very different than the fundamentals in the stock market. And actually, the more we distrust institutions, that's actually good fundamentally for Bitcoin. And you could talk about this ad, ad nauseum, but the reality here is we are we are in a balanced position where Bitcoin, which trades like an option on its future adoption, and all those metrics are going positive. I mean, even the debates about new variations under the Bitcoin blockchain and new use cases are incredibly bullish for the long term, you know, whether they, they come to fruition or not. And it's important to understand that as technicals, we're all looking for tomorrow. I mean, I, it, the fact is, is, you know, the, the, the trend is our friend, but it's a long trend. And I think that we bottomed as far as that goes. So, so we got Jason on stage, and I do want to get Mike's take on this because, Mike, I know you debate Dave a lot on your uh, weekly show. Let me go to James. James, good to have you again. We've had you on the show multiple times discussing the ETF news, and your predictions just been getting better and better, and for obvious reasons. Like I think a couple of months ago, you were predicting a 50% chance that the ETF will get approved. I think it was by this year, and I think it's by this year. 50 chance, 50% chance by this year, then it went up to 60%. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and now it's at 75% that will get approved this year, and I think it's much higher, like 90%. 95% by next year. Did I get my numbers right, James? Yeah, the, those numbers are correct, but we're still like we're, in the next week or so, we, we could get um, huge changes because one of the things we're watching for, which as a lot of people have hinted at here, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the Grayscale case. We got that right, <laughs> thankfully, and we also got correct that all of these um, decisions that were due this week got delayed yesterday, which we also got correct. But the one thing we don't know is what happens next with the Grayscale case. Um, it could be the fact that Grayscale has to completely re-enter this whole process, that 240-day-long process, and then then our odds of the 75% in 2023 are probably going to have to go down if that's the case. But also, we don't really know, right? Like, and even Grayscale doesn't know. We had Michael Sunshine on Bloomberg TV this week, and he, we were trying to figure out, me and my colleagues, trying to figure out what happens next. 
And we were like, we really don't know. And then he went on TV and the anchors asked him like, what happens next? And they were kind of like, we don't know. Like <laughs> We're waiting to hear back. So we're basically waiting to see what happens. The SEC is likely talking to the DC circuit, the judges that came down with that decision to figure out next steps. But it really just, it went back to the SEC here. So there's two options that I can see is going to happen, right? Either the SEC is going to say, you have to reapply, go through this 240-day process again, in which case, like I said, the 2023 odds are going to have to go down because then there's no rush on the SEC to make any decisions. Um, or it's going to be a shorter time period. Rather than reapply, it's just going to be another 45-day, 60-day, 90-day time period. Um, so we're going to be waiting to see that. And then there's actually a third option. The SEC could request what's known as an en banc hearing, which it's basically an appeal. Rather than three judges making decisions, the SEC is going to request that all the judges on the D.C. circuit, which is about 17 judge, judges, would look at the decision and see if the, those th- the three judges did anything wrong, which we think is highly unlikely because the three judges that came down to this, it was a unanimous decision. Uh, they ripped apart the SEC's arguments in that in that decision. And it's very unlikely that even if the SEC, even if the courts do grant the en banc hearing request, um, we think it's very unlikely that the SEC would would win such such an such a hearing anyway. And James, Jason, it's interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I no, was go, just going to say, I mean, it, I think it's important to note something that James and I have discussed and everyone's sort of discussing here, which is that. It's easy to make predictions. It's very hard to make time-based predictions. So the 75%, you know, listen, if it gets up, approved in on January 15th, then people will laugh and say you were wrong about 75% when it was two weeks later, right? And so I think the idea here when you're talking about 95% chance in 2024, which uh, we, we've dug into, and the only reason that wouldn't happen is maybe through the election cycle, things get frozen or something. I think the main point here is that this is inevitable. Right. So this approval will happen. And if you have a low time preference and you look at markets through a, you know, a a decade long view, even Jay Clayton just came out. I think it was literally today or something. The ex SEC chairman and said, listen, the the Bitcoin spot ETF is inevitable. So does it really matter if it's December of 2023 or February of 2024 or if it ends up being punted to the next administration in 2025? I don't think so, because I think, you know, we still have the same bit. Bitcoin four-year cycle, an election year coming up, and things are probably going to be very boring, in my opinion, for the next year. But then at that point, we're going to have probably the starts of a new bull run, a presidential election with a bunch of candidates who are all going to have to address Bitcoin and especially going to have to address it more positively if prices are better and an ETF approval coming. And so I just think it's important to exercise patience and not get obsessed as we do James has to do this job. We talk about it ad nauseum. You have to handicap these things, but it's happening. It's coming. And does it, yeah. Scott? Does it really matter, James Scott? How, how, if it is next year, when next year do you expect it? First quarter, second quarter, by and March, then t- by March, right, how, James? I mean, yeah, March is the deadline. Earlier. Actually, earlier. So the most then why does it matter? But then, James, why does it really matter if it's this year or next year? It's not really that big of a difference, no? It, it, because it really January first, man. <laughs> it, well, also part of it is Eric Valchunas, who's my boss, has a couple bets that it would happen in 2023. So part of it is a little selfish talking on that front. But also, it would be it would be almost too fitting. The ARC and 21 shares application is actually the final deadline is due on January 10th. So it's entirely plausible that this thing gets approved in the first week of January. Exactly. Um, 
Um, I, I think personally, the way I'm looking and I've been saying for, for a few weeks now, a few months, even it's, there's some, the time periods we're watching is either some sort of time period after the grayscale decision comes down or that January 10th deadline. Those are the key things. I think it's going to be hard for the SEC to deny ARC and 21 shares in January 10th and then approve a bunch in March. The one thing, the one caveat I'd also add, which is why we went above 90% for 2024 is the application from Hashdex, which is a, a crypto firm, uh, they, they have a bunch of, they had the first crypto ETFs in the world, actually, technical ETFs based out of Brazil and Bermuda. Um, but they, they basically went with this novel approach. And I talked about all the ways that the SEC might approve. If they want to deny again, they would have to revoke futures ETFs, which you've, a lot of you have probably heard. But if they want to go towards other things like settlement of spot Bitcoin, basically, if they want to deny these things, they have to go something that doesn't affect the futures ETFs, which is what the court decision said. And so... If they want to do that, they're going to have to go after settlement or custody of Bitcoin. They're going to have to make the arguments that that's why they're not going to prove spot and have allowed futures ETFs. Um, and the DeFi application, which came down just a couple, just a week or two ago, um, the way they went at it in this application to the SEC basically null and voids a lot of the arguments that we would potentially happen. So the only thing left open to the SEC, in my eyes, if they don't want to get really crazy and do something that would definitively hand them another loss in court is focusing solely on something around custody because settlement DeFi's application will be due in May. And I w- if the SEC denies the hashtag application to, for DeFi, that's the ticker, the current ticker of that fund, I would, I, the ETF nerd in me is just loving to see what the SEC comes up with to deny that. Uh, it'll just be fascinating. Um, so that's another reason why we're, we're confident in 2024 because of the unique novel approach that hashtag has come at this application with the SEC. Yeah, I want to go to the so so Jason. I'd love your take as well if Scott is done with the questions on the ETF, and then we'll go to David. Uh, just a general market discussion, and, and then what I want to do is shift afterwards to the lack of funding in the space. Like, what will attract investors back into the ecosystem? We've debated earlier about AI sucking up the liquidity from crypto. We've talked about macro, you know, just lack of liquidity everywhere, um, and obviously we're talking about the the market potentially being in a bear market or trans market. When it comes to crypto, Jason would love your take. I'm not sure if you can yeah. touch on the, uh, you know, what will bring investors back to the market. All right. So yeah, just to take on those things quickly. I, I'm with Eric on that. Like we're seeing it as a trend market. You know, we've been talking about it for several months as the markets have been going up, or at least that's for Bitcoin. And I guess where we were seeing the S&P and the Nasdaq back at the end of 2022 was a trans market. And once it broke out of 4,100, 4,200. That is basically the confirmation that we're ready to to get into new all-time highs. So there are a lot of people back at the three and a half, the three thousand eight hundred for the S and P. You know, looking at the macro because Bitcoin doesn't lead this space. Basically, it's real estate and the big stock markets. You know, you've got to go down where the money sits. Trillions of dollars in the in the land markets, real estate, housing, whatever you want to call it. It's basically land. And then into the stock markets and then into your speculative stuff like arts, wine, whatever you want, Bitcoin, collectibles, all that sort of stuff. So there was a lot of people calling for a collapse at those lows, but we're not seeing that. And the main thing I'm looking at and the thing that we're seeing now across the market sentiment and the news is that they are starting to shift how they speak about the market. So we had this recession call. Everything was about recession last year. We didn't get a recession. And now they're still going on about a recession and the hugest collapse in the, in the world and all this sort of stuff. But every time this happens, you're watching a higher low form on the S&P and on the NASDAQ. 
And so when that happens, that catches a lot of people off guard because they're still waiting for this big collapse. They miss the bottom just like they missed August. We had that nice little low come in and then the market starts to trade up higher. And so they just keep waiting for this collapse. And it's the majority of people. I mean, that's what we see over and over again. We're, we're young, we're old, we've got you know pretty big credentials or we're hedge fund managers. They all do the same thing. That's why 90% of people lose in the market. So in terms of a macro view, that's what we keep seeing. And it's basically a wall of worry. And if you can read a chart and understand the market sentiment and uh, news cycles, then you're going to be ahead of 90% of, of the crowds. And of course, most people keep missing out on these lows. As with the other guys, I think it was Eric uh, and maybe someone else here as well. In terms of September, you know, how bloody will September get? A lot of the data isn't showing that it's going to be that bloody. And I know a lot of people are looking at a particular color of a candle, but it's more so if we're actual investors or traders, you're just looking at where is your best entry point. So September might trade within August and July's price range. Maybe it goes a touch lower than the August low. But I think we've had a pretty good opportunity at that um, that August low to get into the S&P. So it's not necessarily that uh, September is going to be all that bloody. Yes, it happens in years gone by. But when you look at some of the data that's come through from uh, looking at the first, what, seven, eight months of the year, when this happens, when we get big moves out of the, the lows, big gains to the upside, September isn't always that bloody. It could just be a bit of a, a sideways trend. And so a lot of people are going to keep waiting again. And then that just goes back to the first point that I made, that everyone's waiting on this huge collapse, which is not going to happen. I think we're going to see a new all-time high potentially the end of this year, maybe into 2024. But we will get oh, wow. a mega collapse in the years to come. It has to happen, but it's not 2023. It's not 2024. Okay, that's an interesting take. And, and then one more question there, uh, Jason. I want to go to David about the 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 whole China news, that being the 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 the, the most concerning piece of news just what two weeks ago, and no one's talking about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But Jason, one other thing: what would attract investors into the market? That's like, it, 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 what what would convince VCs to come back? Well, if I'm looking at the the macro space for the S and P and the Nasdaq, investors are already back. They're just not talking about it. That's what happens in the news cycle. I think Eric made a few good points there as he was getting quite frustrated at. The bear calls. This is not a bear market. And the investors are back. You just don't hear about it because it's not something that people want to talk about. Most people are addicted to fear porn. That's all we listen to is just the market is going to collapse. The people who make the most money are those who are calling for a collapse all the time or that there's negative some sort of negative news or the markets are going to fall. So we're always sort of getting shifted around into this negative speak. And those guys tend to make the most money off whatever they do. It's just what people look for. So are they going to come back? I'm saying they're already here. And you see that in the price, like the S&P and the NASDAQ. NASDAQ was up 50% from the low, from the cycle low. I mean, if you want to keep calling for a collapse, you're sort of missing out on the bigger picture. The S&P, 30% from the low. Those investors are here. If we're looking for uh, what Bitcoin and crypto. I mean, Bitcoin's still above its low. I think it can still come back and retest 23,600. That's a very significant level, but essentially it's just in its um, accumulation stage before we start to get that move out. And once we break 32K, it's lights out. Those, those bears have got not much left. It's, um, it's pretty much way up, all the way up. So I got to interject one thing Mike. here. One of the wonderful things, Please, the yeah. most wonderful things I love in markets when people tell me it's going to go up because it went up. And that's great. I really respect your views. But certain times you have to look over at the, the substantial elephant room, which is the fundamentals in the stock market and the Fed still tightening. Um, and the one thing I, so that's what we just heard. It's great. 
And that's when you sometimes the biggest headaches happen. So right now I have to just interject one thing that you're looking at. If you look at the chart right now, I always try to game what I think the algorithms are and the stops are. If you can get a little bad news, you can probably push Bitcoin down now from here, $5,000, a lot easier than you can push back up because it just failed. It's just waiting for a little trigger to do it. It's waiting for people to hit those stops. That's just what I used to do for a living, not electronically, but in the real world and electronically. So I think that's the setup now in the short term. And then there's other things in the big picture, like what Dave was saying. I completely agree with Dave in the big picture. And when it gets to a level, I think it's plateaued and shows divergent strength and looks like everybody's given up. Obviously, Jason has it. Then I'll probably start near tilting over to those long-term things. But right now, we have to admit, this is a market that's trading very poorly. It's showing divergent weakness. I think it's a bounce in a bear market. And to me, the big picture is just imagine if the stock market rolls over for a normal recession, which people are saying that's not happening. It's just delayed. All you have to do is look at things like the yield curve, what's happening in housing, what's happening in the Fed still tightening on a global basis. This is the big picture that really matters. And you just look for the shorter term technicals to watch out what they'll do and be careful. People tell you it's going to go up because it went up. We've been used to trading markets when the Fed was there to save you. The Fed's doing the opposite. It wants the market to go down. I have to say that those, uh, Jason, I'll let you look, those things are completely off. Sorry. Sorry, Mike. You know, all due respect. The housing market is up. U.S. is up for the fourth straight month. It's at the same price as it was uh, April of 2022. U.S. is obviously the biggest market in the world, and we have to respect what happens in the U.S. Of course, I'm from Australia, but I focus on the U.S. Australia is also up six months in a row. U.K. is up. Germany, new all-time highs in a technical recession. I think they're out of that technical recession now, but markets can keep going up. U.K., looking at a potential recession, trading new all-time highs. France, looking at new uh, all-time highs again, almost in those recessions. So I'm not sure where the data is coming from about real estate down, but actually it's another point with the wall of worry. People keep missing out on buying these dip, uh, buy the dip opportunities and the lows because they're fearful of some sort of collapse, which will come. But based on cycles, the data of history and the data that's coming out now, the market is trending up. We've seen the lows and we are trending out of those lows. Okay, well, if you want to fade the Fed, good luck with that one. Was checking in in a year. With all uh, let me, uh, James. No, good, exactly. Uh, James, uh, James, I wanted to ask you one quick question before going to David. As I saw your reply to Craig Salem, so Craig tweeted something out about the the delays with the ETFs. So was, you know, everyone was talking and tweeting about it yesterday. We we mentioned earlier very briefly. I'm not, I want to kind of mention talk about it one more time. Is the delays with the spot ETFs, the Bitcoin ETFs, is nothing, you know, something pretty, you know, everyone expected. And I'll read out Craig's tweet. The reason why these spot Bitcoin ETF delays aren't all coming out at once is because for every copy and paste, someone has to make sure they properly change the issuer name, exchange name, release and file numbers, date of filing, dates of next approved deny. It's meticulous work, but it's the process, nothing unusual. Just kind of want to touch on that. Is that yesterday's news of these uh, delays and then not all of them coming at once is nothing really to, to kind of look too deep into. Is that correct, James? Yeah, so we were I we came out with a note that basically said because I was a ton of people were like, oh, are they going to get approved this week after the Grayscale news? And like, like, um, like uh, Scott kind of hinted at like there's there was no shot of that happening to be complete. Like maybe five percent shot. I could see the SEC really doing it to stick it to Grayscale. And I see Craig is listening here. He was just making a joke. But ironically, I I, I actually told about I tweeted earlier today. We still don't have like. The, the actual BlackRock delay letter. So all these have these delay letters, right? And what's, what Craig was talking about is you have to change like 
the name, the certain date, like the language is exactly the same. It's just a template and you change like a few things. So somebody has to go in there. I'm sure it's some word document or something and just change the numbers and the dates and the names. And that's why it took so long for them to come out. But at the same time, if you go to the SEC website where these things are supposed to be, and I tweeted about this today, the BlackRock one still isn't there. It's elsewhere on the site. Like you can get to it and you can find it, but it's not where it's supposed to be, which is just kind of ironic and a lot of people are joking about putting tinfoil hats on, including me. But yeah, this was completely expected. So I'm not shocked that the markets reacted to it just because this has happened before. The last wave of Bitcoin ETF filings, despite me constantly tweeting out that nothing was going to get approved and that we were expecting delays, we get delays and then Bitcoin price would move on the delay headline. Um, same thing with denials. We were saying from the get go, these things were going to be denied. Um, they get denied. And I understand a little bit more about those moving on denials, but I, I, the markets do are definitely moving on these delay orders. And we were completely expecting them. The next dates to watch are mid, mid-October, specifically October 16th. We'll have the Ethereum futures ETFs that have launched by that point, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I think it's a little more likely. I'm not saying it's like really likely that we'll get an approval on those deadlines, but way far more likely in order to magnitude more likely than anything was going to happen this week. Um, Benson, I'll go to you right after David and Jason. I want to go to you as well, just to get an update on the on the NFT market. Um, but David, macro updates, your thoughts on the discussion, and maybe why no one's talking about the China the China worries as much as we did two weeks ago. So I, I want to make a simple point for the audience. There's never been a better time to buy Bitcoin, and the, yesterday was probably the second best time to buy Bitcoin. We have never been in such an assured environment of a the fact that is it is widely universally acceptable and not a security and it is going to be made for distribution to everybody both retail and um institutional investors um i think we need to keep in mind in terms of the price action over the past 24 hours you got to keep in mind volumes low end of august um, retail investor heavily uh, weighted uh, in terms of Bitcoin owners. And so therefore, you know, I mean, the sell-off is a little bit surprising, frankly. But frankly, I don't think that goes ahead and takes the entire thesis and throws it out the window. May we get better entry points in September, like people are calling for in terms of it being a bloody September and so on? Yeah, Maybe. But at the end of the day, I can assure you, we're going to get it. I think everybody here agrees. We're going to get an ETF. There's going to be more inflows into the asset class. What exactly the fair value of the asset class is, I don't know. But we know that it's traded up as high as $69,000 or let's say somewhere in the 60s. And frankly, we've put in a base probably somewhere in the 20s. I don't think people believe that we're going to go below 20000 no matter how ugly the market gets until the approval of the ETF. So frankly, I'll take that trade all day long. I think it's very substantial. Um, and then in terms of, you know, uh, we have to remember, you know, in, in addition to the low liquidity, you know, we've never had so few, um, you know, holdings on exchanges uh, in terms of crypto in the past five years. I mean, we're at a really low point in terms of holdings. And frankly, Mike McGlone is an incredibly smart guy, right? Nothing um, and nothing but smart things come out of his mouth. But he is too smart, I believe, for this market. I th- when, it, when it comes to Bitcoin, I think your average Bitcoin investor 
probably saw the delays yesterday on the other applications for the ETFs and said, whoa, this was very unexpected. This is a huge surprise, especially in light of what just happened with Grayscale. And I think a lot of people sold on that basis, and wrongfully so. I think everybody. I, I don't. I don't think. Agree. I don't. I, but the, do you really think that the the average investors? I think that the market. It, we, we're not giving investors enough credit. There's a lot of big, you know, smart investors now in the market. We're not talking about Bitcoin ten years ago, and I think yeah. most people knew that the the, the you know this going to get delayed. I think everyone was talking about. I think it. those everyone were just short, it. long squeezes. Yeah, to your uh, point. I think that people just saw leverage piling up. They use a news event. They pump up the price. Then obviously they know that they're going to get rejected. Just uh, sell off and make some money. I think these are just sideways, choppy technical moves in a crab market. I, I would I would agree with that if volumes were high, but because volumes are super low, you know, I, I would actually take the other side of that. I mean, I, I, I you know, I don't want to dummy down, you know, the investor base. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't I don't believe that the investor base is as sharp as this forum is giving a credit for. But that being said, let's leave that aside. My point is, is that I, I, I believe, you know, that there's never been a better buying opportunity. There may be better ones that come in the next couple of months. But frankly, don't let this one pass you by. At least that's my feeling. You know, frankly, not investment advice. With regard to China. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, man. About China. So with regard to China, look, I, the, the question is, and, you know, it boils down to this. Is this the same old, same old for China or is this something new? Right. Is China going to be able to go ahead and essentially paper over this? Are they going to be able to throw money at this? Are they going to be able to pull levers inside of their you know, country? Mind you, you know, the, the housing market in China, I don't know if everyone saw this data. Housing market in China, you usually have to put down 70 to 80 percent in equity in order to buy a home. They went ahead and they changed mortgage rules. and Now they bought it, brought it down to 20 to 30 percent. Right. That's obvious stimulus. But at the same time, frankly, it's not as psycho as we have it in the United States where Zillow is now offering 1% down mortgages in Arizona. So at the end of the day, if that's what they need to do in order to stimulate their real estate market, and granted, it's not just housing, it's industrial and commercial real estate in their country too, that's difficult right now. Um, But if they can go ahead and pull levers and effectively go ahead and make sure that this crisis, quote unquote, that people are screaming about, inclusive of the unemployment with with the young people and so on, you know, passes the same way China has done so many times in the past, then frankly, this is not going to be as big of a thing as Mike has said with respect to being equal to Japan. But it's just a question of whether this is history repeating itself or no. This time it is different, right? And we deal with that all the time. The question is, is whether is, 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 is past performance indicative of future results? With respect to China, I believe I don't bet against that government. OK, I, I, I think it's very dangerous to bet, bet against that government. You've been wrong until now if you bet against that government. So the question is, is whether you're going to be cavalier enough to say this is a problem that China can't deal with. It's too big for them. And I don't think I'm ready to make that concession. Um, I would love Jason Pizzino. I'd love you to respond before going to Jason Dean on, on, a, on his thoughts and maybe an update on the NFT market. Sure. Uh, no, no problem. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the China stuff. Again, it's just news cycles. I mean, I don't know who we're debating here anymore, but like Eric said, like many other guys have said, if we keep getting caught up in all the news cycles, it just basically puts a sheet over our eyes when it comes to investing. So, you know, China was all the talk last week because they needed something to talk about. Nay is the, the media. Um, I know many others will take that as, a, you know, quite offensive, but at the end of the day, it's what, uh, it's what the news headlines need 
and they gave it to us. It's what we wanted to know. And the markets move on, on from that point. And I know Mike has, has left. Uh, I know I spoke with him several months ago. I think it was around April. It was around the, the banking crisis, just a month or so or two after that on Gareth's show. And I think at that time, I asked him, do you think the market's going to crash in 2023? Take out the cycle loan. Of course, he was adamant that it was. I know this might be a little bit childish, but you know, at the end of that last conversation we had with him, he's looking for the market to crash at the end of this year. And this is, that as an example for the overall market, if you really want to get into your investing and trading and, and play this game really well, that understanding what the media does in, in the case of that conversation they just keep pushing out the timeline of the crash, the recession, the collapse. It's just going to keep getting pushed out. So now, as we had that discussion just a few moments ago, he's saying, you just wait till the end of the year. When we Yeah, but Jason, when, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was, just, finish. I was just going to say, but, but to be fair, and I'm not like, yeah, I, I, to be fair, and I'm not uh, taking either side, that works on the other side too. Right, because people are have been overly optimistic and kicking out when they think the Fed is going to stop, and that's sort of his argument. And and I think it is a fair point. Like, if we're going to talk about oh, the recession that never comes, we also have to talk about the fact that predictive markets were saying ninety percent chance of three rate cuts by the end of twenty twenty three, only six months ago. Right, so I, I think where Mike probably is passionate is at the Fed, and and I agree with this. And I don't know what it will do to the market, but. People want to hear what they want to hear mm -hmm. from the Fed and from governments and from China. All the Fed has ever said is inflation's too high, jobs are too low, we're going to keep going, right? And so I think the Fed should have stopped uh, stopped uh, raising quite a while ago. But it just really is important to remember that the market believes that the Fed was going to be literally cutting rates right now. And now that prediction has been kicked way into 2024 and so it just, these delays happen. It goes back once again to saying that doing these time-based predictions on when things are going to happen, humans are just literally horrid at it. Yeah, you're totally right when it comes to trying to do time-based predictions on fundamental announcements or changes like that. It, it doesn't work. And you can see how it just gets kicked down the road. And I agree, it goes for the same with the bulls as well. Once we start to get into this all-time high territory, things are going to get crazy. And you're going to see those same predictions of, uh, you know, this market's never going to fall. Like we had it in January of 2020, we had Trump up there on stage saying, I've made the best economy in the world. Nothing is going to go wrong. If we ever remembers that speech back then. And, you know, we, we know from history a month or two later, it was the collapse of all collapses. You know, the fastest one we had in history. So we're going to get those bullish times again. All I'm saying is when it comes to the bearishness, markets typically go up. So trying to call a bear market every year is just statistically wrong. And Mike's been on the bearish side. I, I don't want to say, you know, Mike, he's not here to defend himself. So that's fair enough. But the bears in general have been on the, um, the bearish side over and over and over again. And all they do, if we can see through it to learn for our own investing, is that they kick the can down the road. Recession in first half of 2023, that came and went. Recession in uh, second half, that came in second half of 2023, that's gone. Now they're kicking it to 2024. So eventually it will happen. They'll be right. I'm sure we've all heard it before. A broken clock is right twice a day. And that's pretty much what we're seeing here with the, the bear case because the market's bullish and they've got nothing to talk about. But yeah, I, I agree with you. When it comes to those things, definitely be skeptical of the bears, be skeptical of the bulls, just like we have with Bitcoin and these guys talking about 160 grand BTC in, in 2023 with blow off tops. 
it, it's the same sort of thing. Th- those calls are just so stupid. And it just, it, it screws everyone who listens to those full-on bears or full-on bulls. I'll shut up now. Thanks, Scott, I'd, I'd love to get... Yeah, I appreciate it, Jason. I wanted to ask Jason Dean, uh, you know, get his thoughts on all this, but also on the NFT market. Like, we, I just read out one piece of news that uh, Open Seas, I think, his trading volume is the lowest. It's been like two and a half years, um, and we've mentioned this. We mentioned bits and pieces earlier about the NFT market just dropping significantly. Yesterday was a bit of a good day for the top uh, projects. I think they went up like 10, 15 percent, but generally just heading to zero. Um, at least for most smaller projects and the bigger projects are not doing too well either. So I'd love to get your thoughts, maybe a quick update on the NFT market. Um, and if anything has happened in that market since the impact theory settlement with the SEC. Well, I'd love to help you with that. Um, but I'm a macroeconomist and a Bitcoin specialist and a Bitcoin miner. I've never owned an NFT. I don't know anything about NFT. So I'm really not the right person to actually uh, to, to comment on that, unfortunately. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, let me see. Hold on. I'm, I'm blind or you've got NFT in your bio. Oh, you don't. So that's my you're no. right. You're not. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I'm the idiot. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. My bad. <laughs> No problem, man. Conversation has been really interesting because it's exactly my area. So uh, listening to the debate between the bear and the bull, you know, the, really the definition of it has, has, has been uh, has been fascinating. But and I agree, actually, with a lot of points on both sides of the argument. Uh, and my what I do most of the time is I spend my time helping people get started with Bitcoin, whether that's through the Bitcoin racing team, I'm driver and owner there or one of the other communities that, that I'm running. So I get to see the kind of man on the street view, if you like, uh, in terms of what they think of all the things that we discuss, because we're all so close um, to the markets. And, um, you know, it, it's fascinating to see because there is a real correlation between the conversations you have in a bull and a bear. I'm sure it doesn't come as any surprise to you. But for most people right now, it's pretty much a nothing market. It doesn't fit into either category. It's just a thing that's in the background, which sometimes people talk about. And my view is, again, some of the other guys said, we're kicking the can down the road. I can tell you macroeconomically, we are in a mess, a real mess. And this will unfold ultimately. You're absolutely right. We're kicking the can down the road. The road. And our job now really is we can't do anything about that because that's the backdrop we have. And my, I see it as our role is to to make sure we can, you know, inform as many people about Bitcoin as we can. And that's kind of become my main focus. So I've just kind of thrown that out there. And I'm sorry, I can't help you with the NFT side. No, all good. Uh, I, we had a panelist today that was coming in to talk about the NFT side. I, I confused him with you, uh, Jason, so my bad. But if anyone's on, in the audience, give us an update there. Otherwise, we'll do it on Monday. Just because the NFT market hasn't been doing too well, and I don't think we've covered it enough. Uh, but let's go to... to uh, uh, Benson and, and Joel to get different takes on the market and I think we could uh, start wrapping it up Scott. I was about to say um, on the takeoff of Jason before talking about the growth of, of the real estate market in the USA etc that clear inflation if the GDP is not growing at the same or a similar rate as this inflation is growing and people not even able to purchase assets anymore which leads into of course the same grand recession that we had in 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 2008 so to me it's not something positive positive it's something negative indeed uh when it comes to the market mario um i do believe that there are chances for everyone right now if you dca all the way to 20k is decent to get an entry obviously um that if you dca if you're a obviously a, a daily trader right now you're literally seeing the same thing i see constant manipulation and that's what you need to be looking at the macros are painting the picture right now for the crypto 
ecosystem overall. And that's how I see it as a trader, as a daily trader. I trade on news nowadays, not on technicals. Cool. Let's get Joe on Crypto Fundamentals. Uh, final quick thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I wish Mike was still here because I agree with his thesis of what's coming. But the result is what I don't agree with. I think a lot of people forget that the entire world is not a speculator market where it is, where as it is in the, in the U.S., people in the U.S. look at Bitcoin for speculation. The Most of the rest of the world look at it as uh, a safe haven away from their current financial, financial system. And that's what's happened. That's been the greatest mass adoption has been when countries' economies begin to fail, people flee to Bitcoin. It happened in Turkey, happened in Argentina, it's happening currently in Lebanon. And that is the greatest adopter. So if there is a crash in the US, I assume a lot more people will Hold on, and they flee, Joe, Joe, they flee to Bitcoin or stables? No, they flee to Bitcoin. They're fleeing to Bitcoin. They're not fleeing to stables. In countries like Argentina, they're absolutely fleeing to stables. Like yeah, Tether is incredibly popular. Yeah, so. exactly. I don't know. What, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know where you got Bitcoin from. Like when I sent money to someone in Ukraine and different people, I know sent money to Ukraine. They were sending stables in, in Lebanon as well. I know people in Lebanon have sent them stables and they're holding stables. Yes. In Argentina, I saw the statistics there that are stables. I think Bitcoin, just the volatility of it, just doesn't. I don't think it makes it. And also, people just want yeah. dollars. I mean, you have to remember these are the same people who would yeah. run to the black market to buy cash and now stablecoins is an easier way to do that. Uh, and Scott, wasn't it Argentina? What country was it that they, were, they had a new politician that was anti, uh, uh, that was a libertarian, yeah, like, that was, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was U.S. Yeah, current leading candidate in Argentina, Miele, has proposed abolishing their central bank in favor of dollarization, right? So but, instead of uh, using the peso, going to the dollar. But here, but here's what happened: stable's the first step. Then people get into Bitcoin. The reason why NFT market isn't doing well because people aren't sure about Bitcoin because people take the profits and go into alts, which is the way I look at NFTs as well. It's just an alt in all reality. So typically they go, they do go to stables. Then they begin to adopt Bitcoin. For example, Bitcoin ownership in Turkey is 40% of the population, right? Yes, they use stables, but they also use Bitcoin because it, it is the gateway to getting into Bitcoin. Cool. And, and let me let me go to, to crypto fundamentals. Uh, just a final quick thoughts. Uh, just for, for the audience, um, want to remind you all: if you are a project, if you're a VC with a portfolio comp portfolio companies or projects, um, hit us up. And Scott, if you can mute the hot mic, I'm I'm not. I don't have my phone with me. <laughs> I'm in the sauna. Um, but make sure you hit us up. Um, we um, are uh, Scott. You got to mute hot mics, bro. You got to mute hot mics. My mic is I mean, not Jonas, on. It's random. No, not yours. You got to mute everyone's mic. Someone else's hot mic. Um, yeah. So so um, yeah, we've partnered with the. Sendex. So if you want to list on the Sendex, we've got a really good uh, partnership with them um, to be able to list you quickly at a, at a, a much better fees. And it's a very close partnership where if you list on them, you also work with us and we help you with the awareness, etc. So we've got a close relationship with the Sendex now. It's been months in the making. If you want to work with the Sendex, if you want to list on the Sendex, make sure DM any three of us and we'll I'll put a tweet at the top in a second that will have the emails. Um, and uh, I think I think I see if you want to sponsor as well on the show, we'll come on the Shark Tank show next month. That's probably the most exciting thing for me, at least, uh, is um, also hit us up. It's going to be a video format. Um, and if you want to watch the real Shark Tank that's launching in January, Killer Whales TV, where me and Ryan are judges, Scott, maybe the next season, um, me, Ryan, Scaramucci and others. Um, so that's launching January next year. You can check him out on Killer Whales TV. Incredible budget, incredible production. 
um, and a hell of a budget. So it's almost identical to Shark Tank. Um, and the team will pin the tweets at the top where you can email us. Also, there's a red logo on stage. So if you go on your phone, uh, it doesn't take you, it takes you a few seconds. Get out of the toilet, get out of the shower, go on your phone, check the panel and click on the red logo and follow it because that's where we're going to be hosting shows. Um, crypto Fundamentals, Blocks and Thoughts. I uh, would love your final take on the markets and uh, you know what we could look forward to over the next few months. And then we'll have Scott and Ran. Can I wrap it up? I actually want Rand to give us his final thoughts on the raging bull market that was uh, that he's discussed in previous shows. But the crypto fundamentals, I'll let you go first. I just kind of wanted to touch on, you know, a certain aspect of liquidity you guys didn't, you know, the macro scale you guys certainly did. And you guys all did an amazing job. Uh, I think a lot of the liquidity we need to focus on, too, is in, in regards to the hundreds of millions of dollars it's leaving here on chain with scammers, right? And through poor operational securities. So those are two things that need to be talked about more, I think, and that not a lot of people can provide education on and or are talking about. Uh, and those certainly drive sentiment and drive people away from the space and drive liquidity away from the space and keep friends, relatives. I know people who've been fished for four million. I know people who get scammed out of their life savings, right? And those are certainly aspects of liquidity that I think need to be mentioned as well. And that, that was my final thoughts on on what, you know, the segment. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Scott, before you wrap it, Ryan, are you there? I'm here, bro. I'm here. Raging bull market. Are we, yeah, are we there? Still there? Uh, we're, I think we're in a bull market. I don't know if it's raging anymore, but I'm still, I still think, I mean, if you look around, I still think you're in a bull market. As I say, it may not be going up only, but Bitcoin is up like 60% this year. NASDAQ is fucking flying high. It's, it's not stopping. Um, I had Ralph Paul, I had Ralph Paul on my show uh, today. He's got a great thesis. I mean, he's, he, he breaks it down so he, he speaks so well. And he breaks it down so well in terms of how he thinks liquidity is about to come back into the market. And, uh, you know, I think we, we're seeing the jobs market cool down. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing the job markets cool down. We're seeing inflation cool down. Um, I'm losing Rand Mario. Are you? Yeah, first. he's he's getting in the car. Um, yeah, and Scott, I'll let you give us your your final thoughts, man. It's a pretty good. It's one of my favorite spaces. I love debates like we had today. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. It's nice to hear both perspectives, and I think that where are you actually... where, where do you stand, by the way, Scott? Like, are you in stables, uh, alts, Bitcoin? Where are you now? I'm. I'm in everything, right? <laughs> you know, and, and frankly, my exposure to crypto is is pretty large. I don't sit on the sidelines because I don't uh, attempt to outthink myself. I mean, anyone who I've ever discussed this with, they know that at all times. I mean, seventy percent of my portfolio is just sitting basically in investments and assets that I don't touch. So I'm not really trading around it. I will say that, uh, you know, I very publicly a couple of weeks ago started selling a large portion of my stock portfolio, but that was the portion of the stock portfolio that I bought at the lows, right? I sold a whole bunch of meta at 314 that I had bought at 230 and a hundred, right? So that's not saying it's a lack of a fundamental belief in which way the market's going. There's just certain times when you take profit because you've made a whole lot of money on the trade and, and you move on with your life. But I mean, I always view myself as an investor first. I have a long time frame. And I think that a year from now, like I said, after the having community election cycle will be once again in the real raging bull market will be just beginning. So I just think right now it's forgettable. There's not that much to do. It's fun to talk about it. But unless you're looking at, you know, hourly charts and scalping back and forth, I think uh, this is an avoidable market and we'll see what happens. You don't need to be right if you are waiting five years or 10 years to see what's going to happen with your portfolio. Cool. I think I'm the bigger risk take out of, I don't know about Ran, 
Um, I'm not sure if he's got the connection back, but I'm the bigger risk taker. Like I'm getting a lot more bullish, especially after our last discussion where uh, Yatsu from Anamoka was there, the second space, both of them actually, the two that he was on. Uh, I'm becoming a lot more bullish on, on deploying capital again in startups. Uh, the XRP ruling helped um, with a focus on gaming, not AI, but gaming, really, really bullish on gaming, probably my biggest focus. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I hope I'm not making the wrong decision. I hope that, uh, you know, the bear market doesn't have to, to oh, we're not in a bear market or if we are, it's, you know, nearing an end, but I'm really bad at technical analysis. I'm really bad at timing. All I care about is, you know, history tends to repeat, repeat itself or rhyme. And I'm betting on that, but uh, not sure about Rand's risk appetite. Whether he's deploying capital on startups yeah. still, or he's kind of eased up. I'm deploying very, very, very slowly. Very, very, very slowly. It's like the project's got to really be great if I'm if I'm deploying, because I'm not counting on any help from the market. I'm not counting on any momentum from the market. The the project's really got to be able to survive in the long term. Uh, I think the biggest problem that I'm having now is I'm getting bored. Like, you know, like <laughs> the, the the biggest problem, like. No, I know. Like for some people, Bitcoin and crypto is not a full-time thing, and so for them, it's like, okay, well, you know, we put we put an investment, and you know, we've got a hundred other investments, and we've got we've got our full-time jobs that we we look after, and stuff like that. For me, the problem is that like I'm crypto 100% of the time, and we're at the point now where not much is happening. Like you know, I don't see 10 deals a day. I see maybe one deal a day if we're lucky. Um, you know, I used to wake up in the morning and there was always something to watch. There was always. Like- but I hate that. But Rand, I hate that. Like it, we would never have ran the show. Would never have started the Shark Tank. Would have done it like you know way down the track. Like we not rushed it as we did now. We wouldn't have time for it. If it was, you know, if we had ten deals a day, I love boredom. I genuinely do. It just gives me a life. Is allows me to build and not having to chase project after project. I hated the bull market because the FOMO sucks. No, I mean, I, I think the bull market was a bit overkill, but I think now, like, you kind of wake up every morning, you don't actually want to check the Bitcoin price or even need to check the Bitcoin price because there's not much to check and nothing's going to happen. Now, and look, maybe I'm also frustrated because, you, you know, we have to make cool content every single day. We have to make interesting content every single day. And sometimes, like, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, there's not much going on. You know, like, there's just nothing to report about. And, you know, you still have to make an hour show every single day and it's just, it just becomes harder and harder and harder. And uh, I'd, I'd love it if there was a little bit more. You are, do you, you're, drop, you're dropping out. But yeah, do what everyone else is doing. Pivot to <laughs> start adding AI to your content. Since every content creator is just mixing in some AI and some macro uh, on his shows. And we're doing that ourselves. You know, barely any AI, but we're doing a lot of macro. Um, no, I don't know. Like, I don't find it to be boring. Like, look at this week. Look at last week. You know, we get two boring days and a crazy day. So I, I actually disagree. On the news side, there's a lot happening. Um, it's just on the market side, there's not a lot happening. Um, but then again, I wasn't creating content in the last bear market. I wasn't even creating content in the bull market. So obviously, I can't compare to what it was back then. So I think you're yeah. dropping out, Ran. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if you guys can hear me, but uh, yeah, I think I, look, I think I agree with you. I mean, as I say, like we have had some news this week, but just in general, I would prefer some more movement and some more volatility, um, just to get keep my dopamine levels consistent. You know, like right now, my dopamine levels are like down. I need, I need the, I need a dopamine pump, bro. I hate dopamine pumps, um, and I hope that this 
you know, calmness. Like, I hate bear markets. I hate when the market is collapsing. I get annoyed when the market is blowing up because you just can't keep up with everything. I love when the market is steady because it allows you to build, like, the value of what we're building. I know it sounds cheesy and we're, you know, tooting our own horn, but the value of what we're building here, this show, the, the Shark Tank show and other stuff we're doing that we haven't announced it is really cool shit. Like, the partnership with the Sendex that I've been talking about or the, the, the launch pad that we probably should talk about. Uh, like, this stuff we could never do in the bull market. The bull market, you're just trying to catch up with everything and, and I keep, you keep your head up. Uh, 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 above order and then in the bear market you're just sitting there depressed every day so i think where we are now is like the sweet spot um but it's just surprising to see people like we've had some people we both respect right and scott respects come on and say like you know we kind of moved to ai that's uh, pretty surprising to me but um you know especially after what happened the you last the, uh, thing, the thing with ai the thing with AI, ai is cool and ai is very difficult to monetize and you know one thing i, I really enjoy about crypto is the instant gratification and when i say instant gratification i don't mean like that you know i just i like to to see the results of my action quite quickly um be it through transparent adoption be it through increase of price you know whatever that is and i think with ai ai is but very hard to 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 monetize in the short term i think there will be a lot of of millionaires and billionaires made in in AI, but it's not going to be as easy to monetize as, as crypto because we have tokens and liquidity. Do, do um, what we're doing. Do, do what we're doing, man. Work with projects, take equity, which I thought would be easy. It's actually really hard. They're so, 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 so careful with their equity. They just don't want to give it away. Very greedy. But just take equity for services or, we, you know, with the AI show we do, we, just take, we try to take equity. But actually projects, and that shows we're in a crazy bull market reaching a peak, is that they prefer to pay you dollars than give you equity. Just like in crypto, when they want to give you uh, dollars instead of giving you tokens back in the last bull market. You know, now it's like really yeah. easy to get tokens. It's hard to get those. What you're saying is super interesting because, you know, like uh, people aren't precious about their tokens because people don't respect the value of a token, but then they expect the market to respect the value of their token. And people are very possessive about their equity, which is kind of strange because, you know, the whole movement here should be around um, uh, substituting the old world of equity with the new world of token and tokens and governance. And so you know, if you said to a project, listen, you can pay me for marketing services in equity, let's say, like, screw you and they give me equity, but they're very, very, very keen to pay you in tokens, which just shows, like, they have no respect. People don't, don't respect tokens as much as they respect equity. I think if we want, if you really want tokens to have real value, then people need to respect their tokens as much as they respect the equity and not use tokens as a slash fund uh, that, yeah. that they don't really care about. Yeah, and, and like I'll, I'll kind of end it with it agreeing with Rand. Like, what happens with us? Because we we get paid. I know Rand is. I think you're, you're you're a lot more careful with tokens. Scott doesn't like tokens much, and you guys are more fiat based. We used to be very flexible with tokens. Um, I'm talking about the recent months. And at one stage, we were getting paid in full with tokens. Now it's a bit of a split between fo tokens and fiat. But when a project is keen on giving us tokens, we're like, yeah, actually, we prefer fiat. And when a project, when it was so easy, when a project comes on and says, look, guys, we prefer to give you fiat, not tokens, and we start arguing with them, no, we want your tokens. So start valuing your tokens. VCs will value it more. The market will value it more. But on that point, I think is a is a really cool space. We'll see you on Monday. We'll kind of touch on alts and NFTs a bit more on Monday. Just give you an update there because I know I was planning to do it today, but uh, didn't work out. Um, but yeah, it was a great space. Scott, we wrap. You were done. All right, man. I'll see you in Dubai soon. Thanks, everyone. Happy Bye. weekend.